the, the belt of truth, girding your loins. The next part of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And, you know, when, when we're in a battle, Paul wrote this about Roman soldiers because everybody knew what a Roman soldier was like back then. And he used this as, as, a, as a reference for people to see and, and to understand. Um, if you remember from last week, I said that in Romans 13, 14, it says, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of sinful nature. It's important, guys, that we understand. Because earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We, we, we wrestle with powers and principalities, rulers of darkness and, and evil in heavenly places. So this whole battle is really not about somebody coming up and hitting me in the nose. It's about understanding that, that hey, there's more to this than what I read. To put on the full armor is to be clothed in Jesus. Since that's the case, we find that spiritual warfare is actually more about getting closer to God than it is about battling the devil. We want to blame everything on the devil. I don't know if any of y'all remember a comedian named Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Although, I, I, you know, I understand, and I need to understand more of the enemy that's attacking us. I, I can't have a victory in and of myself. I have to have God. I have to focus on Christ. So the scripture today from Ephesians 6.14 says, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the Roman breastplate was typically made of bronze or, or iron. It was leather-backed. The, the richer or upper-level officers had what's called a chain mail. I think she wants the side ones off. There you go. Is that right? <laughs> it was chain mail, which is like a chain just hung together tightly. It's even interwoven sometimes. And, and, and it was on there to protect your heart and your uh, internal organs. Um, but it attached to the belt of truth because truth holds everything together. The breastplate covered all that I just mentioned. In the same way like soldiers and policemen were bulletproof vests. The symbolism of, of the breastplate was, was noteworthy to Paul's readers because they understood. The first vital area that protected was the heart. The heart. And to Paul's readers, especially the Jewish mindset, the heart represented the source of their thoughts. It's not the heart that bleeds, but the heart is our thoughts. Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil things. That's when we think of evil things that goes into our heart and we hold on to those. The breastplate also protected lower areas, the stomach and the, and the intestines. And, and uh, that really represents the emotions that we have. I mean, have you ever heard the, the, someone say, well, I've got a, a gut feeling about this or ever worried so much you get sick in your stomach. So th there you can see that, that this is what is protecting uh, spiritually. Worry is not good for us. We need the breastplate of righteousness because there are two areas that are most vulnerable to Satan's attacks. That's our minds, the doctrines of lies and deceits, and he wants to manipulate your emotions. He wants to twist them and pervert our, our affections. 
And Paul makes it clear that, that we defend ourselves against those attacks with the breastplate of righteousness. Pastor, what is righteousness? Righteousness is defined from the root word that is straightness. And it means conforming to a standard or a norm. I was talking to somebody the other day and, and they were talking about how people aren't living this way or this way. And I said, the problem is, is we want the Bible to fit our lives instead of our lives fitting the Bible. There's an institute in, in D.C. called the National Institute of Standards and Technology that has specific uh, items for measuring. One of those is to a metric standard. It's a, a reinforced platinum bar. It's with an alloy of 10% iridium. iridium. When, when they want to know the exact measurement of a meter, they cool this down to zero degrees Celsius, which is cold. Which is cold. At, the, at uh, sea level, 45 degrees latitude, which means nothing to me. I just read it. And then they'll take it out and it, me it measure exactly tip to tip. And that's a meter. When it comes to righteousness, the authoritative standard, standard for us is God Himself. Don't compare yourself to someone sitting in this room. Someone in another church. That is not the standard that we want to meet. I might have told you all years ago, I was an assistant manager at Walmart and wanted to be promoted to store manager. And the manager came to me and he said, hey, you know what, you're not, you're not doing so good. And I said, well, I'm doing better than him and her and him. He said, well, him and her are going to be here forever. They're non-transferable. They don't want to be a store manager. Once you compare yourself to him, who's going to be the next store manager out of this store? Set your standards to the highest, to God. Not to the preacher, not to the TV preacher, not to the elder, not, not, not to the officers, not to the other pastors. Just set yourself to God and to Jesus. There are various aspects of righteousness described in the Bible, throughout, throughout the Bible. And, and three of them are going to be personal righteousness, which is your individual righteousness. The second one is relational or positional righteousness. The word is imputed righteousness. The first one, the personal individual righteousness, that we're self-righteous, trying in my own power to live a way that is pleasing to God. The positional right refers to the righteousness that has been given to us by Jesus Christ that makes positionally righteous before God. And the third one is practical righteousness. It describes living out, living out the righteousness of Christ. We're going to go, if you know the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. He was one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And he gave us a vision of God in which Joshua, the high priest, faces the accusations of Satan. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 7. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to those who were standing before him, I'm sorry. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then he said, Put on a clean turban on his head. 
So he put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. And while the angel of the Lord stood by, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Many Bible scholars, and I agree with them, say that the angel of the Lord is an early representation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was there. He's the only one capable of taking off our old dirty clothes and clothing us in new righteousness. Joshua is representing himself with the filthy garments and Israel. And if you read through the Old Testament, Israel represents us today. Israel then are Christians now. So Paul's writing about righteousness. He's given an, an example. So out of those three, I'm going to go over each one a little bit and then we can sort of figure out which one he was talking about. In the vision that Zechariah had, Joshua represents not only himself, but the entire kingdom of Israel. He described this vision wearing filthy clothes, which brings to mind a similar passage in Isaiah 64, 6, which says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. See, Joshua's filthy clothes represent his own self-righteousness. And Isaiah clearly described them as filthy rags. So self-righteousness will get us nowhere. You've probably known some people, I've known some people, who are extremely self-righteous. Uh, that's probably one of the main reasons I don't try and find some suits and white shirts and ties to wear here. Because traditionally when I see that person, they believe that they're a whole lot holier than anybody else. And I find that hard to stomach. I'll just be straight up. Today's my day to be straight up. But I want you to notice Satan accusing. Satan. Joshua could not stand against Satan on his own. We cannot stand against Satan on our own. He could not try to use his own righteousness as a defense against Satan's accusations because every one of those accusations Satan made was true. Well, you know, that Pastor Marty at Hillside, he used to do this and this and this. And it's all true. But the righteousness I've been clothed in, just as Joshua, when he took off all my filthy rags, today I'm in the righteousness of Christ. We live in a culture today where, where people think of their own self-righteousness as adequate. Both as a means for pleasing God and effective weapon against the evil one. I don't believe that. A recent survey shows that 70% of Americans believe their own righteousness is adequate to earn their salvation. It is not. That's why I tell you, friends, churches are full of people that are not going to make it to heaven. They're not going to make it because they try to do it on their own. The Pharisees, if you know about the Pharisees and Sadducees, in Jesus' day, some of the Pharisees and other religious leaders were also deceived into believing in their sufficiency for their own righteousness. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In a human perspective, that was impossible. And that's why Jesus told them that. There's only one way. The Bible says, uh, Bible says righteousness involves conforming to the standard of God's holiness. 
not to the holiness of your leaders or, or any officials. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've told y'all before, and I've, I've had people disagree with me, and that's okay. It says, for all have sinned. When we sin now, it's not a purposeful sin. It's an accidental sin. And God has forgiven all of that. So walk in the righteousness that God has given you. In the positional righteousness, Zechariah would find that although Joshua was unable to remove his own filthy clothes in order to stand against Satan's accusations, God did it for him. If you remember in the story of uh, Lazarus when he was raised from the dead, Jesus told him to unclothe him, take off the burial clothes. He takes all the dirty rags off of us and clothes us in his righteousness. Joshua didn't deserve it or earn it, just like we don't deserve it or earn it. It's a completely an act of grace of God's part. And then, God's, and, then, and then it was God, not Joshua, who rebuked Satan. May the Lord rebuke you, Satan. God's righteousness was given to Joshua. And as a result, Joshua had positional righteousness before God. That's what Jesus has done for all of us. He's given us a positional righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's it. He who knew no sin to be sin for us. When Jesus, who never sinned, died on the cross on our behalf, He provided every person with the possibility of having righteousness imputed to them. The righteousness of God apart from the law has been made known to which the law of the Pharisees and prophets testify. That righteousness is, is not from God. This righteousness is. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as He promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. It's only those who have faith in Jesus Christ who experience the imputed righteousness or, or the given righteousness and therefore positionally righteous before God. But all who believe immediately and permanently have the righteousness of Jesus given them. And as a result, every time that Satan tries to bring his accusations against one of God's children, we have an advocate, we have a lawyer on our behalf who rebukes Satan for his accusations. 1 John 2.1 my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's what I was telling you all earlier. When we accidentally sin, He's already there saying, I've covered that one. I've covered that one. When we repent, it's done. We say, I'm sorry, God, and I won't do it again. It's done. If we just say, oh, well, I slipped, I'm okay. Then you need to think about, is that right with God? I'm convinced that, that Satan loves to attack us in ways that leads us to, to forget about the imputed righteousness of Jesus. He would love to, to make us think that God doesn't love us because of our sin in our lives. And, and when he brings those thoughts into our minds, our defense is certainly the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And the third was a practical or an imparted righteousness. 
Going back to Zechariah one more time. It says, if you walk in my ways and keep my commandments, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I'll give you a place among the standing, among these standing here. We have to walk it out. We can believe it, we can hold on to it, but if we don't walk it out in, in the world, then we're not going to show the world the righteousness of Christ. We need to apply that righteousness every day. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my friends, if you always obey not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and to in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Unfortunately, Christians don't always do that. We've ignored the last aspect of, of that righteousness. They, too many people think that they have imputed righteousness and it doesn't matter how they live. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. It matters how you live. Because we can lose our joy. John 1, I mean John 15, 11. I have told you this that you may joy that I'm sorry. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We lose our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We can lose faithfulness. John 15, 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. He will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. That's been a tough one for me sometimes. Because as a, as, a, as a man in America, I think I can do some stuff. And the more and more I depend on God, the more and more I find that scripture to be true. And we can lose our testimony. Guys, you can't go out and live like hell and tell somebody about Christ. Just can't do it. You lose that testimony. God won't bless you with it. And in fact, it'll cause others to stumble and fall. It's up to you to see how you're going to do it. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So out of the three that I listed, obviously, living it out is going to be the most important in today's society. Choose today to, to accept Jesus Christ as the path for your life.